0: of the Backstreet Boys, and so I got to go tour around and look really fancy and uh, sing and play at a bunch of these different churches and, and camps and things like that. And we covered a lot of miles, all right? We covered uh, literally thousands of miles across the summers, that, and I did it for three summers in a row. We went from Eastern Canada to California to South Carolina to Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, and felt like everywhere in between we covered... Now, along the way, there are some great stories, and if you've been on a road trip recently, some of the best stories happen along the way. Not necessarily like once you get to the destination, but all the stories that happen along the way. And so, we're driving through rural New York. It's a group of four of us, four of us guys, and uh, I don't know what your family's like. I'm gonna let you let in on a little Gorbat family secret. Every time we stop during a road trip, we get snacks, okay? How many of you are like a snack family you're like, every time we stop, it's like, I'm getting a pop, I'm getting chips, I'm like loading up my front console with food for the road, okay? Now, others of you are like, I can't believe you'd spend money on snacks, like you should pack ahead, like, and that is Lindsay's family. It's the Coleman cooler, just loaded up with fresh vegetables and produce, and that is not my family at all. Uh, And so we were stopping at this place. I was not with my in-laws, so I had free reign over whatever I wanted to eat. And so we stopped here. My best friend, Matt, comes back out of the gas station. And I had what I always had, a nice, like, 300-ounce Dr. Pepper and sour gummy worms. Like, that's not a good idea uh, down the road. But there I was, and I walked up, and I was driving for the next leg. So I sit down and put my stuff. Uh, We pull out of this rural gas station, and I hear, like, a chomp, like... And I'm like, what in the world? Like, I didn't. it didn't sound like a Dorito. It didn't sound like a pretzel. All the things I was used to on the road trip. And I turn over, and Matt is eating a full-on, like a foot-long cucumber like a hot dog. <laughs> that's not normal, okay? I, maybe that's normal in your family. At least in mine, that was a brand-new experience. So he's sitting there, literally this foot-long thing, just like... <sighs> Like eating it, and he's got little salt and pepper packets. He's like sprinkling on the end and just chomping it off. Our van busted out laughing. I was like, dude, you look like an idiot. But you he was the healthiest idiot in our car, that's for sure. And so it it just it cracked me up. And what's so sad, or maybe really revealing, about my first summer traveling with the live, I don't really remember like the churches and the worship experiences that we had. I really remember the cucumber in the passenger seat. Like I don't know why. That is, I remember Matt just chomping on his cucumber, uh, but so many times, and this is true of life, we just want to arrive. We want to get to our destination. Maybe for you, arriving just looks like a perfect body. Like if I can just get there, if I can go to the gym enough, or I can tan enough, or I can diet enough, if I just get to there, I'll be good. Others of us, it has to do with our wealth. If we can just get the 401k in the right position, we can retire early or right at like 64 and a half. We can take the step or whatever it is. Money for us could be that. Some of us, it's a spouse. We're in the process right now of kind of like, hey, I'm single, I'm ready to mingle. Where are the men or where are the women? Like, I they're not coming to me. I don't know what's wrong with me. And, and you're wondering, if I could just arrive at that point, my life would be better. If I could just have true love or I could have that partner who I can walk through life's difficult circumstances with, my life would just, it would arrive. I'd be better. Those of you are in the midst, in the thick of parenting right now. And for you, the empty nest is the arrival. (laughs) You're like, I can't wait till my last kid goes off to college or whatever they're doing and like, see you in 50 years. (laughs) Like have have a great life. I can't wait. Like you just can't wait to get to that point. For some of you, arrival, that's what it looks like. And for many of us, if we don't arrive, our Our lives get frustrated. Some of us get anxious. Some of us are worried about the future. Uh, And I've wrestled with the question, and I know from talking with many of you, you have too. Will I ever get there? Will I ever arrive? Like, will my life ever feel like I'm at a place where I can just put it on cruise and be okay? Or put it in park and be done with the journey? I think that's, when it comes to the scriptures, actually the wrong question. What if there was a way to not just think about the destination or think, man, as a Christ follower, I cannot wait to get to heaven and be done with all of this, to be done with the pain, to be done with the suffering, to be done with some of the the struggles that just everyday life brings every single one of us. But what if that is actually the wrong question? What if there's something much, much more That Jesus has for us and luckily as we've been journeying through road trip we find out that that is true that there is more for us and I want you if you have your Bibles to turn to Philippians chapter 3 you can do it in a device you can do it uh, we'll have it on the screen as a backup but if you have a Bible with you please pull that out and engage with it you just never know what God will say to you while you're reading the scriptures for yourselves and this area of Philippi was interesting because almost all of the Philippian culture was made up of families, people who were ex-Roman soldiers. These are all ex-military families. Now, as, as we've journeyed through the road trip, as we've kind of navigated through the, the different letters that the Apostle Paul, this missionary who was a terrorist, all these letters that he wrote, as we've journeyed through them, you kind of find out that Rome and Christianity do not mesh. That because Caesar was Lord, Jesus could not be. And because Jesus is Lord for the Christians, Caesar then was not Lord. And so they just had this battle, this tension was going on, and no one felt it more than the Philippians. They're with a bunch of ex Roman military. These guys are like, hey, you worship Caesar or you're done. And so not only was uh, Philippi the very first church plant, Philippi was the most persecuted church in the entire region because constantly people were being ripped out of their homes some of them physically tortured some of them uh, persecuted in their workplace some harassed this is not like your coworker finding out you go to church on Sunday and it's like kind of rolls their eyes and we're like I'm persecuted this is like real persecution this is danger this is temptation for you to not follow Jesus because the cost was so great this is Philippi and and Paul writes these words to this church as he's in chains by the same Romans who are persecuting them. He writes this in chapter three, verse seven. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Movement. I press on. It's the focus Paul has in this entire letter. He's writing to people who would have understood Olympic language. The area in which they lived held what was called the Ismithian Games. It was a kind of regional area games that kind of think of it as like the U.S. version of the Olympics. Like it was kind of that. And then people will be sent on to the Olympic uh, challenges in the area. And It's just crazy how many times in Philippians he talks about running and running metaphors. Now, uh, you know, if you've been around here for any length of time, I enjoy running. I'm one of the minority in the world that enjoy the process. So I'm not going to bore you with running metaphors because Paul did that for you. There's just a ton of them in his letters, specifically in Philippians. And actually, I was reminded of this because my group, my discipleship group that I'm a part of here at Center is studying Mark's gospel. And Mark's gospel is full of this one word. Comes up over and over in every chapter immediately. Jesus was on the move. He was teaching as he was walking. He was healing on the way to places. He was going one place, doing something. And then the next moment he's in another town or another region. There's just constant movement. And it's what theologians and scholars would call, and this is a good fancy word to take home and talk about at lunch. Uh, Jesus was a peripatetic teacher. It's literally the word for teaching as you walk. That's what Jesus was. He was a unique rabbi in that he continually was teaching as he was moving. He never stalled in one place. There was consistent movement throughout his life. And I really think that Paul is trying to remind us what, what Jesus modeled, that growing in Christ is not about, it's growing in Christ is about moving, not arriving. And for a lot of us, and I have been there. I still, at times, am there. We focus so much on destinations that we miss what God wants to say in the middle. We miss what God wants to say when you're at the rural road, road stop. You're, we miss what God may want to do, the stories he may want to tell in our life before we ever arrive. And growing in Christ is about moving, not arriving. One of my all-time favorite verses is Hebrews 11.8 where the kind of writer of Hebrews is going through what they call like the hall of faith. They're, they're journeying through all these different heroes of the Christian faith story, and one of them is Abraham. And it says in 11.8 that Abraham, even though he did not know where he was going, picked up his belongings and went. He, he moved. He, he didn't even know what the destination was. There was no arrival point for Abraham almost entirely in his life. He just kept moving. He kept going. He followed God wherever God was going to lead him. He had radical obedience. And one of my other heroes who maybe for some of you, this is a more familiar story, but is Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. is, if not the most prevalent and most prominent civil rights figure in our day. I mean, actively fought against racism and injustice on systemic levels and even in his private life. He's incredibly inspiring to me. And even as we sit in a very divided nation today, we could use more voices like his that are speaking for unity and for following Jesus, even in the difficult places. And many of you know, if you know his story, he was assassinated much too early. His mission was cut off. But one of the things he said just years before being shot and killed in that that Memphis hotel was this. And I actually want to read this quote over you. He says, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk you can't walk then crawl but do whatever you have to to keep moving forward movement growing Christ is about moving not just arriving and his fight continues on through us today we continue to fight for justice but so many of us the temptation in our personal lives is just to stop it's to arrive is to be complacent. Maybe there's a sin pattern in your life right now and you're like, man, I have tried every single thing I can do humanly possible to get free of this and I still deal with it. And some of us have just chosen to arrive. I'm just going to settle. Maybe this is who I am. Maybe this is how life will always be. Maybe you have relationships right now that are incredibly fractured and you wish they were whole. You wish they were mended. You wished that they were restored, but you've been just content and complacent with leaving them as they are. Broken, hollow, vessels of what could be, but are not there. And some of us just choose to arrive. Instead of moving, we choose to arrive. And I love what Paul writes in verse seven. It's one of the strongest phrases, strongest sentences in all of Paul's writing. He says, whatever gains to me, I now consider loss. For the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. He's talking about his past. If you read through the, the earlier part of this chapter, he's talking about his status. All Philippians, he, he was the guy. Paul was note, uh, notable. He was important. He was respected. And he says, none of that matters. None of where my security and my status lies is really that important compared to knowing Christ. It's, it's a loss to me. And then he goes on in verse eight. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I'm not a Greek scholar. There's a good chance you are probably not a Greek scholar, but the word garbage uh, sounds a lot more like a four-letter word than it does garbage. It is like the lowest Point. It uh, rhymes with hit. Like it just is not, it is not, just in case you were curious which one I meant. I want to clarify before I, this is all recorded. Hi, watching online and uh, good to have you. And so it's just funny to me that he, he says it in such graphic terms, it's so important that we as a reader get that, that whatever like the lowest descriptor is, that is what Paul is saying. Everything in his life compared to knowing Christ, that's what it amounts to. I don't know if I think about my life in that extreme of terms. I think, no, these things are good or living here is nice or having this is nice or how much money I make. That's a good amount. Like, I don't think that's all lost compared to knowing Christ. I don't know if you think that way. I don't know if we as a church always think that way of just everything compared. When you line it up, it's just not comparable. There's no, you just can't line them up together. They're totally opposite. Everything is lost except for knowing Christ. And if you were here last week or you watched online, you remember that in Ephesians, the book we studied last weekend, the whole concern there was identity. It was about an identity in Christ and who you are rooted in and what you, uh, the identity you have will determine the decisions you make. We talked about that. And in verse nine, Paul harkens back to the Ephesian church and says, hey, don't forget, be found in him. Don't carry a righteousness or holiness or kind of religiosity on your own, but to take the one that comes from faith, take the identity that God has already given you. And then I love, because I'm a runner, and maybe some of you are runners in the room, verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal to take hold of the prize, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Heavenward is not necessarily like a Thomas Kincaid painting or a really cute devotional thought on Pinterest. Heavenward was actually a reference to what happened in the Olympics. See, if you won the Olympic games, you literally they would say you climb heavenward. See, the judge would be seated or seated on—that's bad grammar. Uh, I'm from Alabama. On uh, sit like seated on the uh, seated on the very top of like an amphitheater or the arena. And whenever someone won, like the first place person, they would literally have to climb like a flight of stairs to get to the top, heavenward, up towards where Caesar or whoever was kind of officiating the games. They'd walk up head bowed in humility and receive the crown. They'd receive the prize for whatever game they had accomplished, whatever game they had just completed or whichever award they were receiving. Growing in Christ is about moving, not arriving. And I, like you, often look at my life and feels like perfection is over here and John is over here. Like arriving is really, really far. And maybe you've been to a gym or you have this on a t-shirt or you have this like posted on your mirror. But how many of you have heard the phrase progress progress over perfection? Has anyone ever heard that before? Or I I know I've said that before um, when it came to my lack of athletic skills. Progress over perfection. But in Christ, I want to flip that. Progress is perfection. In Christ, in everything that represents the kingdom of God, progress is perfection. It's about moving, not arriving. That's what Paul is saying. I press on. If anyone had a pass to kind of arrive, it would be the Apostle Paul. Like one of the heroes of the faith, wrote the majority of the New Testament. We would say, he's the guy. Like, he's got it together. And what does he say in verse 14? I press on. I forget what's behind, and I'm straining. I'm I'm leading my life in order to gain Christ. Growing in Christ is actually about moving, not just arriving. Now, let's be honest. As a church, we could arrive instead of keep moving. We could. We could be content. We could have people in our life who are far from God, but be okay with that. We could have needs in our community, but say someone else will figure that out. One of those great churches, hopefully they figure that out for us and and bless our community. Or we could keep moving instead of just arriving. And our vision around here is to see zero lives unchanged by Jesus Christ. For that to happen, all of us have to be in movement together. Some of you probably see these banners in the front of the room every single weekend. And they have kind of the five pillars of our vision on them. The first being zero gods before God. The idea that we don't want any idols, any wealth, any possessions, any relationships, any status to elevate itself above King Jesus. We want zero gods before God. For some of us, the vision that we connect with is zero unconnected in community, We want to see every single person who walks through the doors of Center Church to know that they're loved, they belong, they are welcomed, and they have a place here. That's what zero unconnected means. Zero unfulfilled callings. We want to make sure that everyone who steps into our doors knows that they have a calling, an eternal purpose that only God can unlock in their life. That's our vision. There's another one that I'm forgetting. (laughs) The other one is zero lost. We desire to see every person in our life know Christ. We want our lives to be walking missionaries. We want to be walking missionaries into our workplaces, our schools. We desire to see zero lost people among us. And finally, we want to see zero needs. We don't want to see a need in our community, whether it's in a school or a person's life or a home or a neighborhood, and say, man, I hope someone does something about that. We are the kind of people who say, we want to see zero needs. We're going to do that. Sometimes maybe it's directive and it's, it's from our church or sometimes it's just you saying, I've got a couple dollars. I can bless that person. I've got the resources to fix that deck. I'm just going to go do that. I've got the ability to share my faith with that person, whatever amount I have, and I'm going to share that with them. I'm going to do that. I'm going to step out. Zero needs among us. And as a church, we can keep moving or we can arrive. And that's true for you in your own life. There's gonna be situations where you have crossroads moments. Maybe you're in one right now. could be a season of life. As school is starting back up, things just start to churn up in our world. And and maybe there's some opportunities for you to keep moving or keep arriving or keep pursuing just to arrive and and find a destination and park there. But church, we keep moving. We decide that we're gonna be people that move and, and not just focus on arriving because every one of us faces that crossroads daily. And uh, to be fair, we wouldn't be the first church in the world to decide to arrive instead of move if we chose that path. If you go all the way back to Genesis 11, if you're taking notes, I want you to actually capture that to read it later. Genesis 11, 1 to 9. It's a crazy story. I can't even believe it's real and in the scriptures. You're going to want to read this. But in Genesis 11, 1 to 9, it's the whole story of the Tower of Babel. It's this idea that in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, God gave his people a command to go, for, go, therefore, and multiply, to reproduce, to build his family, to grow his kingdom. And in Genesis 11, these people get together, all the people on earth, and say, instead of doing that, instead of moving and building God's kingdom, let's stay here, build a tower, and build our own kingdom. And they do. They try. They try. The, the entire peoples of the world in some form or fashion gather together and they build this tower, try to ascend the heavens, trying to, to accomplish the mission God had given them without what actually he said to do. He said to go, to move, to, to multiply, to reproduce and build my family across earth. And as a church, as people, we can do that. We can decide to pick up our box of tools. Now, I'm not handy, so this could be very dangerous. But I've got a hammer, I've got a screw, I've got a level, I've got some very rusty pliers, and I've got a tape measure. And we can decide we're just going to build our own kingdom. We're going to take what we have and and decide to stay. It's comfortable here. I like it here. And so I'm going to fill my life with these tools. I'm just going to kind of stow them away in my pocket. I'm going to put these rusty pliers in my blue jeans. I'm going to put this screwdriver. I've got a hammer. Maybe I could build some stuff and I could decide to just build my life for myself and to arrive. Have you ever tried to run with tools in your pocket? You look like an idiot. I'm not going to do it. So you have the satisfaction of that. But if you can just picture it, if someone's trying to run, to strain, to press on towards and their heart and their life is built on just arriving, I've got my own tools. I've got stuff I can pull it off. I can make it happen. Ultimately, we will never encounter the life Jesus has for us. Our our pockets are full. We can't run. We can't be free to press on towards the prize. And I love what he says in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, it's kind of that mid-letter reminder. Like, hey, remember, we're family. We're, We're the church. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what's behind. I'm I'm straining towards what's ahead. He just takes all these things that would build his life and help him to arrive and says, those don't matter. I'm going to forget what's behind. I'm going to strain toward what's ahead. And that's Christ. So the question is, what do you need to leave behind and what do you need to run towards? Today. August 25th, 2019, as you look at your life right now, what do you need to leave behind? Maybe that's a habit. Maybe it is a destructive relationship. Maybe it's a lack of peace. Maybe it's a financial pattern. Maybe it's a gambling addiction. Maybe it's pornography. What what do you need to leave behind? And instead of just saying, I'm going to try to ditch all those things, what are you going to run towards? What do you need to pursue? What's the thing in your life? Maybe it is Christ. Maybe there's something real specific that he's doing that you need to run towards. And you need to take hold of the the prize. So I want to encourage you just in our last few minutes together, if you'll take out your bulletin. Every single one of you hopefully got one or or has something to write with nearby. If you'll take this out, flip it over to the notes section. And on the notes section, I want you to actually write down those questions. What do I need to leave behind? And what do I need to run towards? What do I need to leave behind? What do I need to run towards? We're going to carve out just some space before we sing, before we move on with the morning, before we go back outside in the beautiful 80 degree Michigan weather, before we do any of that, and to do business with God and say, this is the most important thing right now. And so as you wrote that question, I wrote this down. I said, what do I need to leave behind for me today? It's laziness. That summer is easy to pull back on the gas and say, I'm just going to kind of rest. I'm going to coast. And friends, I don't want to live that way. It is way too tempting for me, whether it's in my physical life or my spiritual life to say, I could press on towards that, but I'm just gonna rest or I'm just gonna hang out. And there's nothing wrong with rest or having a vacation. I'm not saying against any of that, but there's a spiritual laziness that can take place, especially in summer. And I'm just saying, I wanna leave that behind. I wanna press on. And what I'm gonna run towards is a deeper prayer life. I wrote that down this morning. I wanna run towards a deeper prayer life. I want a life that's in constant communication with my father. I want a life that's broken for the things that his heart breaks for. I want a life that cares deeply about people who are far from God. And the way I get there is being in communication with him. So I'm gonna pursue a deeper prayer life. I'm gonna experiment with some stuff. I'm gonna try some things spiritually. I've just never done. I'm gonna adopt some habits and some disciplines that'll get me in alignment with his heart. I wanna have that deeper prayer life, but what is it for you? What do you need to leave behind? And what do you need to run towards? What is God saying to you in this moment? So I literally wanna give you just 20, 30 seconds right now before we sing to respond, to write it down, to not leave here thinking I'm good, I'm covered. I don't need that. But if your goal is Christ, if your goal is to know him more deeply, what do you need to leave behind and what do you need to run towards? So let's pray and reflect in this moment and then I'll pray for us. Thank you that in this moment, as we're wrestling through what you're saying to us, as your spirit is speaking into our soul, that you love us and you care about us and you're intimately involved in the everyday parts of our life and you want us to know you. It's an incredible truth. And so, God, I pray that for my brothers and sisters here, for my own life, He'd help us to leave behind the things that wanna distract us from you. To leave behind the status, maybe the relationships, maybe the decisions, maybe the hurt, maybe the unforgiveness, to leave that behind and to run towards you, to run towards a more rich prayer life, to run towards amended marriage, to run towards loving our kids as you love us, to run towards being more sacrificial and servant-hearted in our workplace, to run towards the things you have for us so that we can gain you. God, I pray that your spirit would continue to help us to stay in step with you. I thank you that you model this life of movement better than anybody else. You run towards us, you pursue us. You chase us. You help us to understand your love and grace in ways that we just couldn't imagine. And so we love you. We entrust our lives to you. We surrender and let go so that you can fill our hearts with you. In Jesus' name.